Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you be turning to Hebrews? The book of Hebrews will begin chapters 1 and 2 in just a moment. We're grateful that you are here. Thankful for the good crowd that is assembled again. We had a lot gone last week. Those who are traveling, those who are maybe sick and staying home, and we understand that, but we're thankful that you're back with us again. I uh, look forward to a great day today. Uh, and let me just remind our ladies again that there will be a, a meeting shortly after our services for several things, but including that will be our ladies' day as that is uh, quickly approaching, and we look forward uh, to, to all that will take part in that. And I uh, want you to remember that meeting here in just a few moments as we finish up our services here. And we hope that you can stay with us through lunch if you'd like to, and certainly be back at 1.30 uh, for our services this afternoon as we'll talk about uh, the idea of the word proclaim. If you have a bulletin in front of you, you see the outline. Uh, as Brian said, we appreciate Brian's work as well, but Travis's work certainly. Uh, they were here a lot yesterday working on setting things up kind of behind the wall here. Uh, all that will take place as hopefully our projectors come in. But if you have your outline, you'll see that I went ahead and gave you a few things today to fill out. They're pretty simple. The outline's pretty simple as you look at it, uh, but we just appreciate the chance to study this morning. Thankful to Jerry uh, for his thoughts and leading us in the Lord's Supper, for Gabe and his prayer, encouragement there, for Brian and our singing. And appreciate all of you for participating in that. You know, if you've ever heard or studied the book of Hebrews or heard a preacher preach about Hebrews before, you've probably heard the word better. In fact, I don't know if you have that in your Bible, if you make notes, but that's the great theme of the book of Hebrews. You might write it there just next to the title or chapter one, but the theme is better, that Jesus is better. And there's so many things that are better than the things that are of old. We know that Paul would tell us in Romans that whatsoever things were written aforetime, what sort of things were written of old are written for our learning. Those things from the Old Testament are great in a way that we can learn from them. I have to be careful sometimes. I try to keep up with, obviously, the titles and what I'm preaching and what we're studying. I realize that we've gone since vacation Bible school with a, a lot of Sundays with talking about the Old Testament. And that's perfectly fine. In fact, I enjoy it. Many of you do as well when it comes to historical lessons to talk about those things of old. We learn from those people and those things. But at the same time, while we learn from them, we realize, studying the New Testament, that living under the New Covenant, we live in a better time with better things. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Hebrew writer encourages us that Jesus is better than the angels. As you look beginning about verse 5 on down through verse 14, you'll see that word several times, angels, angels. And Jesus is superior. He is better than the angels. So we come to chapter 2 in verse number 1, and you see that word, therefore. And we always say that when we see that, we need to realize what is coming next. We need to know what it is there for. What it is there for. So therefore, because Jesus is better than the angels, he's superior to the angels, therefore we must give the more earnest heed. You see, the old law, as you look at verses 1, 2, and 3 there, the old law was given by angels in essence, and, and people were punished for violating it. I, we don't, we're not going to take time to look at all the references, but how many times in the Old Testament are, is it pointed out that when people violated the old law, there was a punishment? We sometimes look at that and think it's, it's not nice. It's, it's kind of mean or, or harsh. If, if you were caught doing this or, or you were this way, then you were, they were told to stone you. And we say, oh, that doesn't sound very good. But there was the old law and there was the punishment. But the old law was given by the angels. And while people were punished for violating it, if that was given by the angels, if that was the angels, therefore in chapter 2 for us, how shall we escape 
if we neglect the salvation that is revealed by his son. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 3. You see, the old law was, it, it was fine, we might say, and it was given by God. But if people were punished for violating the old law, and now we have something better, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation that's given by something that was better than the old, better than the angels, but it's given by his son? It's a truly a great salvation. We're going to notice this morning five different things. You see, I, I can appreciate, and hopefully we'll leave this morning, you will appreciate this great salvation because of several different things that we are saved by. So if it is a great salvation, and it is because Jesus is better than, than lots of things, but he's better than the angels, he's better than that that was given, so how shall we escape if this was given by him? If we neglect so great a salvation. And of course the answer is kind of rhetorical. And that we can't. If we neglect it. If we ignore it. Take, take note again of verse number one. We must give the more earnest heed. Therefore if this is given by his son. We must give the more earnest heed. To the things we have heard. Notice at the end of verse one. Lest we drift away. I know I can't speak to every single situation. But it's not often that a person wakes up on Sunday morning and says, you know what? I'm quitting God today. I'm going to skip services and I'm, I don't care anymore. It's not even that often we might say in which a person begins a life of crime. Whether it be murdering or whether it be stealing or whatever it may be, may be they don't typically wake up one morning and say, you know what? I've just decided today that I'm going to forget the law. I'm going to forget the police. I'm just going to become an awful person, a, a criminal. I'm just going to do that today. So if that's not the case, not all the time, but most of the time, if that's not the case, what is the case? Well, chapter 2, verse 1 tells us we drift away. See, a person doesn't wake up on Sunday morning and say, I think I'm just going to stop God today. I'm just going to quit God today. What's happened? They've drifted away until that point. A person who's a criminal, I mean, they didn't just decide, I think I'm going to give up all law. I'm just going to live like a lawless person, a criminal. They've probably been drifting away from authority or whatever it might be until they come to that point that they decide to then commit those crimes. Take heed lest we drift away. We're going to try that this morning by noticing the great salvation and what we are saved by. Number one, we are saved by a great person. By a great person. I appreciate salvation because I am saved by a great person. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We are saved by a great person. From the very beginning, of course, of time, we think about that. The idea of as Adam and Eve sin there in the garden and the statement that God, statements that God makes to them. It kind of begins then. We know even from the book of Ephesians that it's from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, that this is thought about by God. But yet we read it here from the lips of an angel to Joseph that he shall come forth. She shall bear a son. And he will save his people from their sins. Do you recall then in John chapter 1 and verse 29. This time it's John the baptizer. John the baptizer who sees Jesus. He's been preaching. He's been preaching. And he sees Jesus and he says behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
That is who Jesus was. That is the great person by which we are saved. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus himself says, For the Son of Man, for me, of course, in essence, he says, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. What a great person he is and he was to come here and to go about that business. We know, of course, John 3, 16. The world knows John 3, 16 and 17, even if they struggle with how to apply it. For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave us a great person. He gave his only begotten son. But whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life or everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 15 and say that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. And of course Paul tacks that on there at the end that we should be willing to say as well of whom I am chief. Because that's the way we all feel sometimes. When we recognize that we are the ones who are sinners, I am the chiefest of sinners quite often. But Christ Jesus came into the world. This great person came into the world so that I could be saved from my sins. In Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, Peter and John are there talking to the Sanhedrin. And they're giving this almost second gospel sermon, if you will, in a sense. as They have been going around and preaching. But just fresh off the heels of Acts chapter 2 and, and chapter 3. But, but they're preaching again, speaking about Jesus. And they say, nor is there any salvation or salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If we're not careful, sometimes we put people in that position. We say this quite often, but with idolatry, maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's our spouse. We live in a world where some people put so much hope in our president. There's nothing wrong sometimes in the way in which we honor people. We think about the way our country and even the world in the last few days has looked at a, a great lady who died. And, but some people put their hope maybe in her as queen of a particular country. There is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. God has given us a great person. And of course, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the queen or in the name of the president or in the name of the preacher or the elders in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We sang it just a few moments ago. They are nailed to the cross. Oh, how much he was willing to bear. I love you all. I think you love me. I think we'd all be willing to go to certain extents for each other, but there might come a point where we say, you know what, that's just too much to ask. I can't go that far. I, I love you, but I don't know that I could lay down my life for you. Oh, how much he was willing to bear. It's a great salvation because of the great person. We are saved by a great person. Number two, it's a great salvation that I appreciate because we are saved at a great price. We are saved at a great price. You see, that's a great person. That's fine. The Son of God came. But we are saved as well in connection with that at a great price. It, Paul says it very plainly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 20. Again, as plain as it can be, right? For you were bought at a great price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. You see, it's kind of a smack in the face, right? It's one of those kind of wake-up calls. Don't forget, you were bought at a great price, and all that you have, it's not yours. It belongs to God. We are saved at a great price. And, of course, that price is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28, Acts 20, if you think that's kind of a weird reference to think about this, you may recall there that Paul has called the Ephesian elders to meet him. He says, I have time to come to you. Let's meet here and let's talk. And he's encouraging. This is a great passage to think about elders and the church. But he tells them, verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, speaking to the elders, to shepherd the church of God. We could have put a period there. We could have stopped right there. But what is the church of God? How important is the church of God? Which he purchased with his own blood. The reminder that this church that we're a part of, it doesn't belong to the preacher or the minister. It doesn't belong even to the elders. It belongs to the one who gave his life, who shed his blood. He purchased the church of God. How is it that elders are to care for the church in such a way of remembrance of what he gave, the price that he paid? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter reminds us that knowing that you were not redeemed, that's the word there, redeemed, we talk about that it usually carries with it the idea of being bought back. We were bought back knowing that you were redeemed with You were not redeemed, excuse me, with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers. But it's not the corruptible. There is no amount of money that could be paid. It's not the silver and gold. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Something that none of us could give. You can't buy your way. You can't even act your way. You can't even be good enough in a sense. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ of Christ. What an encouraging thing to think about that great price. What an encouraging thing to think about it and then hopefully allow it to change our lives because of this great price. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul says again, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. How do we get forgiveness of sins? That's what so many people are asking. What must I do to be saved? How can I get to heaven? And the only way I can be in heaven with God is to have my sins taken away because there can be no sin where God is. It's in him, in his blood. 1 Peter, again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself who bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. It's by his stripes. Appreciate Jerry's thoughts again for a few moments, just very, even succinctly, trying to get us to think about what he went through. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse number 21, Paul says again, for he made him, God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are saved at a great price. And again, we sang it just a few moments ago. With what anguish and loss, Jesus went to the cross, but he carried my sins with him there. We are saved 
by a great person and at a great price. But again, connected with that number three, we are saved from a great penalty. Why is this a great salvation? Why is it that I should appreciate it? Because I am saved from a great penalty. We know Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve to die. And of course, we know from the scriptures that in essence we must die. We must die to ourselves. We must die to sin. But we really just deserve to die. We really just deserve eternal punishment is what we deserve for our sin. That's what we earn by our sin. The wages, the payment, you work hard all week. You work hard all week, you get a paycheck for that. What do you earn? What are your wages for working the works of the flesh? Well, it should be punishment. It should be death. But the gift of God is eternal life. But we are thankful for that great person and that great price that saves us from a great penalty. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 24. Do you remember there? That's Luke 15. That's the, the parable of the lost thing or the parables, the lost chapter. Luke 15 and verse 24, the description that's given there of the prodigal son, the father says, for my son, this my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then what do they do? They begin to be merry. Why is it? Because he's alive. He's found, but he was lost and he was dead. That's the penalty. That's where we are. We're like that prodigal lost son, lost to our sin, deserving death. What a great penalty that it is to imagine. Hopefully it motivates us then to be better. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, John says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Our sin is literally, we sometimes say, missing the mark. The standard, the bar that Jesus has set, the way that he has told us to live, we miss that mark and we sin and we deserve a great penalty. In fact, one other point here under this point number three, James chapter one, verses 13 through 16. James 1, 13 through 16. Do you remember that James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. That's not true. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But, in contrast, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Notice verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Can I suggest to you here that this sounds like what we read in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1. We don't wake up in sin. We don't wake up away from God. We drift there. We are tempted. We submit to that temptation and that sin and we slowly begin to drift away until sin is full grown and we deserve death. That's what we deserve. It's a great penalty. But as the Hebrew writer says, this is a great salvation because we can be saved from that great penalty. Have you ever had somebody step in and take your place before? Obviously not in a death kind of way, right? That kind of way. But have you ever had somebody step in and take something that you deserve? Or on the other hand, have you ever had somebody offer to you mercy or grace? You see, we struggle with that in our own family sometimes. We talk about that in our household. 
someone breaks a rule or breaks something that they're not supposed to do and somebody else says, well, but you didn't punish them the next time that they do it. Well, they didn't get what they deserve. Well, what's our statement of that? Well, do you really want what you deserve? We extend mercy to them sometimes. We extend mercy to you sometimes. We're not perfect at it, but we know the one who is. God the Father who extends mercy and grace. And when we begin to understand that in our human lives, we begin to be reminded of that great salvation that we are saved from a great penalty. Number four, we appreciate salvation, this great salvation, because we are saved for a great purpose. For a great purpose. You see, we could have stopped after three points, right? I mean, that's a scriptural lesson, right? Just three points in the lesson. But we could have stopped right there. We're saved by a great person, at a great price, and from a great penalty. Amen. We'll be done. But some people then wonder, well, what is it I'm supposed to do? What is it that I'm supposed to be about? We are saved for a great purpose. And let me just give you a couple. First, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And the word here is workmanship workmanship Ephesians 2 8 through 10 Paul says you know it right for by grace you have been saved through faith we know that we're saved by grace we love to quote that sometimes for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast okay so Paul, you're saying that I can't do enough works, right? I can't do these works of merit and earn my way to heaven. So what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? But continue reading. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. We should be different. We should be people who they look at us and see that we are children of God. That we are working in such a way, doing good works, not so that everyone can just see us. How does Jesus say it? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. But we are created for good works. There are good things that we're supposed to be doing. Does that involve helping the poor? Sure. Does that involve helping maybe the elderly, those who are sick, those who are afflicted, who need our help? Sure. What other things could we be doing? The list could go on and on. But we are saved for good works that are created in Christ Jesus that we can be his workmanship. That's what we're supposed to be about. The second word here is from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus 2, 11 through 14, and the word is zealous. Zealous. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age looking for the appearing excuse me looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us and these things we've already talked about from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works is that the kind of people that we are? Are we zealous for good works or is it something that we do begrudgingly? Is it something that we do only when the elders force us to or only when the, the congregation has something that we have to do? We are created again. We are redeemed again for himself, for Jesus, that we can be his own special people, zealous for good works. 
And of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 58, Paul would say, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Are we steadfast? Are we immovable? Are we always abounding in the work of the Lord? You see, those three first things were great and they are important. But what are we to be doing? How are we to be living? We are saved by such a great salvation for a great purpose, for his workmanship, to be zealous for these good works. Is that what we're doing? Fifth and finally this morning, we are saved to a great place. To a great place. You all remember the words of Jesus, of course, in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 comes after chapter 13. I know you know that. But do you remember in chapter 13 that he has just washed the disciples' feet? He's just given this great picture of what we should be doing. Washing feet, well, in a sense, of course. Submitting, helping others. He's done it. And then he's going to lead into these things that he's going to tell them. And in John chapter 14, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. He's talking about this place. He's talking about these directions, so to speak. And, of course, Thomas is that one that kind of begins to get that question, that doubting Thomas name here. He says, wait a minute, Lord. We do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? I got a problem. What, what exactly is it that you're saying? And Jesus answers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through him to this great place. You know, chapter or excuse me, verse number 2, chapter 14, verse number 2, uses that phraseology, in my Father's house are many mansions. I, I can't promise you that that's literally what it is, that it's literally this huge building as we think about the earthly realm that we live in, but I can tell you that it's a wonderful, great place. We could take the time to look at all the other passages that remind us of how wonderful a place that it is that we should want to be. We are saved to a great place place. Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. I love John 14 and, and many of you do as well, but I love Peter's words as well. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. Peter begins, imagine being the people who are receiving this letter. You take the scroll, you begin to open it up, and Peter begins with these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant Mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Perfectly fine, but to what? To an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. Try to put yourself in their position and even think about your own house. Do you have something at home, like probably all of us do, that is corrupted, that is fading away, that the paint has come off of, that doesn't work the way that it used to anymore, and all these things that sort of begin to corrupt and just break down? 
that begin to wear away so that we can't use them the same anymore. Peter is saying, it's not like that. I can't tell you if it's got bricks, can't tell you if it's going to be a literal mansion, but I can tell you it's better than anything that we have here. It is incorruptible, it is undefiled, and it will never fade away. It is a great salvation because we are saved to a great place that is beyond our imagination. We can't even begin to think about it. I've heard some preachers, even in my studies lately, talk, we thought about Revelation some, and, and some say, you know, maybe it's not literal streets of gold. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But what is it, the words that could be used that we could understand how great it is? Well, for us, even today, it's still gold, right? Still this idea of things that are golden. I mean, whether it is or it isn't, it doesn't really matter. I know I want to be there because it's a great place. And I'm thankful for the salvation that was given by a great person at a great price to save me from the terrible penalty that I deserve so that I can serve him and be with him in this great place. Again, we sang it just a few moments ago. I know, I know that over yonder stands a place prepared for me. A home, a house not made with hands most wonderful to see. I love that picture as well from the Hebrew writer. A place that's not made with hands. It doesn't matter if you've got the best house builder in the world. It's going to fade away. It's probably going to crack. Things are going to break. But we're talking about a place that is not made with hands. We're talking about such a great place that we should do everything in our power to get there. And as we conclude the lesson this morning, that's really the question. It is a great salvation, and now we pointed out some reasons why it is a great salvation. But are you headed to that great place? Are you prepared? You know, even in our country today, we recognize and honor a moment in our history that changed the world. Uh, a moment in our history that, that life would never be the same especially for the thousands upon thousands who lost their lives and the maybe millions who lost loved ones. I don't have to remind you that all it takes is a split second for your life to be over, this world to come to an end, things to change, whatever it might be. We are blessed right now with an opportunity to maybe recommit yourself to God or for the first time commit to him submitting yourself to Christ, accepting his great blessing accepting the great salvation that he offers to us by his blood by submitting yourself to him taking part with him in that gospel that death burial and resurrection you can have your sins washed away this morning and you can be a child of god you can be on the path to heaven above if you're here this morning and you would like to study more about that we would do that as soon as possible because it is period full stop the greatest decision a person that a person can make here upon this earth Maybe you're here and you've made that great decision. At one time, it was somewhat easy or you were encouraged to do that, but the ways of the world get you down. That they, they tear you away, and as we said, it's not an immediate thing. It's a slowly drifting. And you turn around and you look and you realize how far you are away from God by your sin or by your choices. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a public sin that you'd like to make known in a public way. One of our elders will be here in just a moment at the front to pray with you and for you. Maybe you need the encouragement of the church to help you in your Christian walk. Take heed. Don't drift away. Remember that great salvation that's offered in his son that we'll encourage you with even now as we stand together and as we sing.